Can we talk something else? Can, can we talk about something else? Hello. Out there. From time to time in a romantic relationship, things can get a little stale. The spark gets extinguished by familiarity, then complacency, then stagnation. And with stagnation comes the distractions, work, kids, individual pursuits. And in this stagnant state, the relationship is up for grabs, unbeknownst to the couple. Any relationship that has become apathetic to itself, routined, empty, is in danger of being destroyed by an outsider willing to fill the void. And it's not their fault. It's not your partner's fault. It's not your fault. It's just the way love works. Love, between lovers, needs tending to. And in understanding this, it's not love's fault either. When an affair sprouts up like a beautiful weed. Love is hungry. Love is deserving. And love, as they say, will find a way. And that's nice. But also, love is selfish. Love is blind. Love is a thief. And when all else fails, it is far from beneath love to kill. Those of us who think we know love will argue that I'm speaking of passion and that passion is not love. That I'm speaking of infatuation of empty tris, and that love is more than the ugliness I'm associating it with. But they're wrong. Just about everything significant in life is fueled by love. Happiness is love. Sadness, love. Grief, jealousy, anger, hate is non-existent without love. From Khalil Gibran's The Prophet, quote, Love has no other desire but to fulfill itself, end quote. The opposite of love isn't hate. It's indifferent. And when love is being stymied by something or someone, it's incredible how indifferent we can become towards obstacles, keeping us from love. Especially when we're an entitled brat. Welcome to Dark Topic. I'm your host, Jack Luna. This is a true crime happening. The Entitled Love, a Marinda Boob. Now that I've shared my uplifting feelings about love, about how love is a psychopath that is just as fulfilled, compelling a mentally ill mother to drown her infant children one by one in a bathtub as it is making a person's heart sing on Christmas morning while sipping a cup of hot cocoa. Let's talk about entitlement in love. Some people grew up being handed everything, and when they entered the real world, they expected the handouts to continue. And when the handouts didn't come, they maybe found themselves a partner that was suitably subservient and willing to appease their entitlement. The problem is, 
that uh, you can't possibly respect a partner who doesn't respect themselves. And though it's nice for a while to be adored, that kind of love gets old, quick. It has little substance. Life with a shell of a person feels empty, believe it or not. And though there's a part of love and subservience, it's weak, pathetic, gross even. Isn't it ironic that when handed everything, we as human beings end up empty-handed, hollow, and will do anything to fill that void? Drugs, alcohol, promiscuous sex, shopping sprees, we'll stuff food in our mouths, anything. The entitled brat is ravenous for a sense of satisfaction, starving for it. And when they think they've found it, usually in the form of their one true love, a fallacy pursued by most self-centered silver spoons. They'll do anything to keep it. Mirinda Boob is one hell of a name. It bothers me, mainly because I'm familiar with the woman attached to it now, but also Mirinda. You mean Miranda, right? And Boob. How unfortunate. Anyways, Mirinda Boob? was a spoiled brat from birth. Well, from four months after her birth when she was adopted by the Heinzelmans, a well-off Christian couple from Center Hall, Pennsylvania, who immediately took to spoiling Mirinda, first by giving her a name that literally means to admire, then by showering the girl with everything she could ever want all throughout her life. The pedigreed Heitzelmans basically got a baby and customized it to be their little princess. And that's okay, I'm just being a dick about it because people who are born with silver spoons in their mouths bother me and a perpetrator. And parents who can see no wrong in their children because they've designed them to be an extension of themselves, like a toy they created to be adored by others, they're fucking idiots. And that's what we have here. Anyways, before Mirinda was a boob, she was a Heinzelman. Though, just so you know, the Heinzelmans were boobs long before their daughter became one too. As you can imagine, Mirinda's adopted parents had high standards for who their little girl should date when the time came. There was a disturbing period of time for the Heinzelmans when Mirinda seemed hell-bent on being exclusively with boys that they disapproved of. It was almost like even though they'd given her every advantage in life, tended to her every need, and cocooned her in a blanket of security and support, their little princess somehow couldn't respect them. And she seemed to take pleasure in disobeying them. Perplexing, I know. But thankfully the right boy came along, and when he did, the Hanselmans did everything in their power to help Mirinda lock him in. In 2002, a couple of years after Mirinda graduated, she met Sam Boob. Here's Mirinda's adoptive mother talking about this occasion like it happened to her. She had gone to a powder puff game at their high school and Sammy was there. Mirinda had gotten a Mustang for graduation and Sammy was really into cars. He asked if he could drive it and she said sure and that was the way they met. It was very soon after that game that she started bringing him to our house. We liked Sammy. He was from a Christian home, which was very important to us. 
Sam Boob was 22 years old when he met Marinda and her brand new 2002 cherry red Mustang. Marinda was forever tanned, short, thin, with heavily gelled brunette hair that hung in stiff frozen waves around her pouting face. Nothing seemed to be ever going right for Marinda, though if you have a Marinda in your life, you know that all of her troubles were fabricated for attention. Sam Boob, despite his incredibly unattractive name, a name that I truly feel should be changed. I mean, come on, Sam Boob. Also the last name Dick or Butt? Cock? I had a teacher named Mrs. Cock. I swear, no offense, but people go to the dentist when their teeth are fucked up. They go get moles removed. They get butt implants. But these changes only help you. They'll come back in the genetics. A name change costs like 100 bucks. I looked it up, 120 here in Canada, and you'll be doing your future lineage such a service. <laughs> no, no offense. Hang on to it. It's cool. Be confident. It's not like God handed these names out, though. Like, some dummy didn't think it out a few centuries ago and went with boob. That's what happened. Why should you and your children and your children's children have to suffer for that numbskull's error in naming themselves something like boob? Like, let, let your future lineage, you know, celebrate your decision in changing your name. We can always refer to the former boobs and butts and dicks and cocks, but we don't have to be them. Come on, it's, it's like 120 bucks. <laughs> anyway, Sam Boob was a hit with the ladies. They didn't want to marry him or anything because then their last name would be Boob, but Sam Boob did do well with women, and Marinda recognized this and was motivated to make him hers. And she did. Accepting a previous child from another relationship of Sam's, Marinda made Sam marry her, then immediately began taking to the task of getting knocked up to even the score, then surpass it with two more quick kids. Marinda, the winner. Sam Boob had a decent job as head of maintenance for the Solid Waste Authority, and he was always doing something on the side for cash fixing up old cars and farm equipment. Marinda, meanwhile, worked a little bit at her mother's nursery school in the basement of a church where she'd bring her kids to be cared for, for free, and do nothing but gossip. She'd show up late with the kids, you know, here. This is what we do here. Take care of them for me. And then she barely worked. She wouldn't help with any of the other kids. She just, you know, she'd show up late and then leave early Without her kids, of course, mom would drop them off. You know, she'd deal with that. And then she'd go and spend Sam's hard-earned money shopping. Speaking of Sam's money, the guy was doing his best, working when he wasn't sleeping. But Marinda's spending, along with the responsibility of the mortgage and the bills, was stretching Sam thin. He was being pressed, like in a mammogram machine. And that's my final boob joke, my boob poke, my boob grace. It's not. Uh, I'm lying. <clears throat> there are many frustrating aspects of this case, but one that stood out was that Sam Boob had been railroaded into a soul-crushing monthly mortgage payment by Marinda's parents. As a wedding gift, they put up the cash for a down payment on a sprawling home just outside of town. Sprawling in more ways than one as the young couple would immediately become stretched thin financially once locked in by this gift from the Heitzelmans. 
As Miranda's father would tell you, the place had a lot of property. It was a beautiful spot. I mean, it had a shop for Sam to work in after a long day of working. Miranda's parents were a little taken aback when not long after the kids had moved in and started making babies, Miranda came to them crying, saying that Sam couldn't keep up with the payments. Miranda's father, the town funeral director, the town funeral homeowner, and uh, he had cash for generations, so he began paying the mortgage anytime things got tight. Kind of like a setup, you know? It's like, oh, shit, you're not as big of a man as me. No, no problem, Sam. You're working your ass. I'm just, I'm just in here painting faces. Uh, and this happened once a month, seeing as how Miranda had a spending problem. And Sam could only make enough to cover the mortgage if nobody bought or ate anything in this home that they shared with four kids. Anyways, Miranda would rack up debt, then blame her husband for not being able to keep up with her compulsive spending. The money she made at the daycare would disappear as soon as it came in. Thanks to her privilege, Miranda made twice as much while doing half the work as the other child care workers. And on top of this, she used the daycare, like I said, as free babysitting while she left early most days to shop around. Seven years into her marriage and four kids deep, Miranda was bored, angsty, unfulfilled, and open to anything that would make her life feel bright again, like it had when she was single and driving her brand new Mustang, along with her overbearing parents and unsuitable male suitors wild. It was the summer of 2009 when Marinda, boob, now 27, and feeling like each passing year was a shovel of dirt on her waking death, met a carny named Ron Heichel at a convenience store and gave him her number when he asked for it. Not much worse than having a carny sink their hooks into your girl, licking their baked bean teeth while sexting all kinds of heinous suggestions to your wife while you're at work. Good God. If I ever discovered I'd been cucked by a carny, I'd do a swan dive from a Ferris wheel and bounce off of the Gravitron, hopefully get slingshotted into a teacup where my broken body would spin and wobble insanely as the Screams of children sang my soul away to God knows where. Who cares at that point? Didn't you hear the news? My wife's banging a carny. (laughs) And I'm just messing around. I mean, Ron Heichel was actually a good-looking guy. Charming and chivalrous. Another dirty, rotten carny trick. Let me guess, he had a suntan and looked great with his shirt off, too. And that sounds like I've had a girl cheat on me with a carny and and if you feel that that's what's going on here uh, you'd be incorrect it was a butcher things move quickly between Ron and Marinda and it doesn't take long for the relationship to progress from texts to coffee dates to secret rendezvous and parked cars with steamy windows Ron Heigl is in love he is completely smitten by Miranda, his little squirrel. She's cutesy, using baby voices, petite with dark features she was. and It's not just her squirrely behavior and looks that are driving him nuts. It's not just that she's married, though 
That's no dead a turn on for a macho personality like Heichel's. You know, these fucking carnies and butchers. More than anything else is that Miranda is a damsel in distress. And Ron Heichel fancies himself a knight in shining armor. Ron had grown up rough, seeing his mother be abused all through his younger years and as a result had little tolerance for abusers. He tells Miranda that what's happening to her is unacceptable and offers a shoulder to cry on, a lap to sit in. You know the drill. He even offers to beat the living shit out of Sam Boob and take her away from the hell she claims to be living in. It makes it easier for both of them to believe that Sam Boob is abusive. Miranda has been spreading the likely lie for years along with her legs, dropping hints here and there to co-workers in a bid to gain sympathy. Only Miranda knows whether or not her claims to Ron Heichel and suggestion to friends and family of her husband's violent behavior behind closed doors were true. Miranda never had bruises, and some who knew Sam and Miranda thought it more likely Miranda was slapping Sam around. But we'll give her the benefit of the doubt. For a moment here. While I unravel the rest of this. August 23rd, 2009. A Sunday. Weeks into Marinda's affair with Carney Ron Heichel. The boobs are lifting themselves up for church. Marinda's preoccupied with her cell phone while Sam makes breakfast. Outside, something catches Sam's attention and he exits the home to investigate. Marinda looks up from her phone, and when the children startle at the muffled sound of a shotgun blast, she calmly tells them that it's time to get dressed in their Sunday best. Out in the shop, Sam Boo must be thinking that he's come across a thief, and that if he can make it back out, perhaps the shadow that just shot him will scatter. He stumbles out into the sunlight, clutching the bloom of blood spreading on his side. Sam's life is pouring out through his fingers, fingers that have had their tips blown off in defense against this ambush with his own damn gun. Ain't that a bitch? It is, Sam Boo. It's a bitch. Life. And then you marry one. The shadow swells when it meets the light, and its confidence saps any that Samuel had left any hope. It grows, the shadow does, until it shrouds its helpless victim. Ron Heichel presses the muzzle of Sam's shotgun to what he believes to be an abuser's back and then blows Sam boob away. Heichel looks up towards the house, shielding his eyes with a shaking hand, a hand that steadies when Miranda appears at the window, flanked by the little ones. He smiles, thinking she is beginning to do the same. I did good, right, Miranda? I did it. I did it for you, babe. I did it for us. Her mouth curls into a crescent, then opens into a full moon, and Heichel hears a torturous wailing begin to seep through the glass. Oh no, Ron Heichel thinks. Why is she? Who is she? Then... Too late, he is a scattering shadow, fleeing wildly across the lawn and into the woods, spurned on by the cacophony of shrieks and no's and whys coming from Miranda, his one true love. What the fuck was that all about? 
Heichel bursts out of the bushes and back onto the dirt trail where he came from and hops onto the back of the scooter that his buddy Kermit Butts sits waiting on. 26-year-old Butts had been honey-dicked into this assassination of Boob by the asshole Heichel, who was soon calling him a pussy when Butts freaks out back at the carnival upon hearing the whole story. Boobs, butts, assholes, pussies, honey dick, and Kermit Butts would do anything Heichel asked. They were bunkmates while traveling with the carnival. They were tight. But also, Butts looked up to Heichel as the tougher, better-looking, more intelligent of the two. Perhaps Butts had a thing for assholes. Who knows? And it's a joke. I mean, the whole thing is so ridiculous, and the craziest part is that it easily could have been worked out. The plan wasn't half bad. They'd been gone only about 20 minutes from the carnival. You know, nobody back there would have taken notice of their brief absence from Butts and Eichel. Carnies disappear and reappear constantly at the carnival, sometimes with a girl. More often, they'll disappear with another carny, usually to grab a smoke or a drink or a pussy or a dick. In Ron Eichel's mind is Marinda's moon face, the torture's scream still ringing in his ears, a call he cannot answer. What the fuck was that all about? Heichel can't stop feeling uneasy about the way she'd switched off or maybe on like that back there. She had led the way, had agreed to the password. Did she want her pond put in today? Miranda had led him through the woods, signaling through text when the coast was clear to slip into the shop, next instructing him to the location of the shotgun orchestrating the whole thing so coldly, so impressively. Now make a noise. Heichel had clattered some tools. Okay. He's coming, babe. Ron Heichel had done his part, but the way Marinda had screamed when she saw the outcome, it was almost too convincing. There's no one fucking around. It's just me, you, the kids, and a dead body. What the fuck? Oh, well. Nothing he could do about it now. The lyrics of Say Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will greet the carnies as they return along a dirt path through the woods on that scooter to come back to work. Kermit Butts had proven a solid getaway driver. Heichel had proven his love for Miranda Boob. Heichel had done his part. Now to see if she could do hers. Kermit Butts covertly parks the scooter and him and Heichel head back to their tasks at the Grange Fair here in this small Pennsylvania town that they've been for a couple of weeks, each sneaking sips of liquor to calm their nerves as the sirens in the distance are swallowed by the sounds of the carnival. Sirens that were unnoticed by everyone, save the shifty carnies turned killers, a transformation that they completed within a few slow cycles of the Ferris wheel. Rosetta Stone, everybody. You know, for a long time, I've been wanting to go to Japan, but the thing holding me back is that I'm intimidated by the language. And that's why I've been going pretty hard at the Rosetta Stone service. I want to be able to take my girl to Japan, a place that she's always wanted to go, and suddenly just start speaking fluent Japanese at the restaurant. That's my goal. (laughs) Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on a desktop or as an app. 
and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It's been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users, 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. Rosetta Stone immerses you in a bunch of ways. Uh, there's an intuitive process where you pick up the language naturally, first with words and phrases, then sentences. They have the speech recognition feature. Built-in true accent gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Uh, it's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's convenient, and it's an amazing value, especially with this offer here. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Dark Topic listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. All right, everybody, Zipix toothpicks. This is something that I use all the time. So this episode is brought to you by Zipix nicotine toothpicks. Zipix brings you a totally satisfying, convenient, and great tasting way to curb your nicotine cravings. Now you can get your nicotine fix anytime, anywhere without having to rely on smoking or vaping. Zipix toothpicks give you an easier, better, and more discreet way to get your fix. They're available in six great long-lasting flavors, and they have options in 2 milligrams and 3 milligrams of nicotine. Zipix are perfect for flights, sporting events, restaurants, podcasting, <laughs> uh, literally anywhere that you smoke or vape where that's banned. They're also one of the most cost-effective nicotine products on the market. Zipix also offers caffeine and B12 infused toothpicks if you're not a nicotine user or if you're trying to get away from your nicotine habit. Zipix have already helped tens of thousands of customers, including myself, to get their nicotine fix without needing to inhale smoke or vape oils. Make your lungs happy and try Zipix nicotine infused toothpicks. So ditch the cigarettes, ditch the vape, and get some nicotine infused toothpicks at zipixtoothpicks.com today. Get 10% off your first order by using the code DARKTOPIC at checkout. Your lungs will be glad you did. Must be 21 years of age or older to order. Warning, nicotine is an addictive chemical. Zip more, smoke less with Zipix nicotine toothpicks. When police and ambulance and fire trucks splash all over the boob farm, they find Marinda there, pounding her fists in the grass. She is inconsolable. Sam Boob is laying face up in front of his shop, clearly dead as a result of two shotgun blasts. His fingertips are missing on one hand. The shirt he's wearing will later reveal burns around the entry wound to his back, indicating Boob had been finished off at point-blank range with his own shotgun. Initially, as planned by Marinda, I'm not even trying to hide it here, cleavage is out. This looks like a robbery gone wrong. Somebody had snuck into the boobs outbuilding while they prepared for church. Sam had heard them rummaging around, and when he'd come up to see what was going on, the intruder had used the shotgun he, or she, had discovered before taking Sam Boob out. She, Marinda, is a mess, but the responders notice that she's not quite as messy as she should be. 
She claims to have attempted CPR, but if this were the case, the young woman would be covered in blood, but she's clean, other than the mascara smeared around her eyes. Those eyes, they sure do dry up quick when she thinks nobody's looking. This trick of Marinda's will later be noticed by friends and family at the funeral. She seems to be able to turn the waterworks off and on as needed, which is disturbing. Though her mother will later claim this to be a tick of her daughter's grief. Her mother, the great apologist, the enabler of Marinda Boob. Also of note to responders, Marinda stays away from the body of Sam, never asking if her husband is gone, if he can be saved. She only makes phone calls and paces the yard nervously. Her parents soon arrive and the tears are there to greet them. Marinda is on her knees, pounding her fists into the grass again. An attending officer observes this strange cycle play out. While only a few miles away, Ron Heichel stares numbly into space, smoking a cigarette, sitting on the stoop of the frog game and a pond much like the one that he would never build for his one true love. As the Ferris wheel creaks to a halt. Marinda Boob and Ron Heichel had only known one another for a summer. In that time, they had fallen in love and decided that because Sam Boob was abusive, allegedly, that he needed to die. Because of Ron Heichel's difficult past, being witness to the abuse of his mother, he was easily convinced by Marinda that murder was the answer here. Ron Heichel had narrowly survived a nasty motorcycle accident years previous to meeting Marinda. And as a result, he felt like he had a free pass, like he had a purpose, like he'd be protected, if acting righteously, by God. The murder of an abuser in the name of love surely fell under the category of righteous. The problem was that Marinda didn't actually love Ron Eichel. She wanted only the insurance money from Sam's death. She felt entitled to be taken care of financially by her husband, one way or another. Also, Marinda wanted badly to be with her true entitled love. Sam Boob's sister, Christy, immediately had her suspicions about Marinda's involvement. There had been rumors around town that a man had been visiting the Boob home while Sam was at work, and though nobody wanted to believe it possible Marinda could be involved, Sam's sister had an ally in her husband, Ben. And Ben went to work for his deceased brother-in-law in the form of contacting investigators and offering to wear a wire while speaking to Marinda. Ben, Court was his last name, Ben Court knew that Marinda couldn't resist the attentions of a man. He knew that if she had something to hide, he can get it from her, simply by being nice to Marinda. And he was right. Marinda Boob was full of entitlement, but empty on street smarts. Here is a clip from the conversation Ben Court had with Marinda Boob, the very first and only time he wore a wire. It was all that investigators needed. Can I just talk really frank? Marriage can be hard, and you and I married into the same family, and we got our ups and downs too. They have a lot bigger, and they want to, like, they're looking at you. Well, I know they're looking at me. 
I think that you know who did this. And I think that we can figure it out. Miranda, somebody's going to prison for their whole life. I do know who did it. After this conversation, Miranda Boob agreed to be driven by her brother-in-law to the Grange Fair and attempt to point out Ron Heichel, the man she was now building a story against, telling Ben that Heichel had been relentless in stalking her and likely had something to do with her husband's murder. I mean, definitely. She just thought that he was going to beat him up, Ben. You know, they were texting, I got a hand, I want a coffee. And he wants to to stop texting me. And then... He said he's going to beat him up, and then, and then he killed him. Miranda was becoming more excited than scared as Ben continued to assure her she was doing the right thing. But yes, Miranda, this is not your fault. And yes, Miranda, of course I understand. It's what anyone else would do. She met who she thought was a friend in Ron Heichel. She confided in him about the abuse. And Ron must have taken matters into his own hands. Like he said, it, I mean, it happens all the time. So now point him out to me. Oh, there he is. Miranda seems relieved. Oh, there he is. There he is, Ben, right there, in the cowboy hat, smoking meth in that alleyway. <laughs> Miranda asks Ben, should she delete, like, the messages that him and her were sending back and forth to each other? Would that make me look bad? Do you think I was just just trying to be nice? He, he was just so pushy. Do you think just in case, Ben? Ben Court takes a good look at his brother-in-law's likely killer and mutters his reply. Quote, they can get your texts either way, stupid. The friendliness is gone from Ben's voice, and Miranda's stupid smile fades. She's suddenly not so excited or relieved. Ben, can you just take me home? He does. Then Ben Court returns to the police station that afternoon with everything the investigators need to bring in a prime suspect for questioning. They'd already been shaking down carnies, carnies like Kermit Butts, thinking it possible one of those greasy flea bags had spotted the boob farm and marked it as a promising target for robbery. It's not uncommon for a carnival to roll into town like a Trojan horse for pillaging vagrants, meth smoke billowing from its nostrils. And if you're a carny and that hurts your feelings, then you're not a real carny anyways. And if you're a bitch like Miranda Boob, then when that hurts your feelings, then you're probably a bitch. <laughs> Why would someone call you a bitch if you weren't a bitch? I, I mean, I don't know. He called me a bitch. Oh, yeah? Well, that's not an appropriate word. Okay. Also not appropriate to uh, act like a bitch and think you can get away with it. Huh? It's 2022. We're over it. Kermit Butts, Ron Heichel's, you know, his wheel man driving that little scooter and pulling him up to commit the murder. Butts had already become a person of interest through the process of questioning all carnival workers. He's sweaty and stumbling over his words, just like every other worker uh, at the carnival that they speak to. Okay, that's enough. But other than appearing nervous, Kermit Butts had seemed to know exactly what the investigators were getting at. The rest that they had interviewed had been completely clueless to the boob murder. And following the slick piece of freelance undercover work performed by Sam Boob's brother-in-law, Ben Cord, Ron Heichel is brought in for questioning. Then Miranda is brought in to positively ID the man she now openly admits to have been confiding in 
the man she believes may have gotten the wrong idea here, and Ron. Kermit Butts is brought back in, and when he finds out that Ron Heichel is being seriously looked at, he tells him everything. Butts shits all over Heichel, tells the investigators that he'd been banging boob for a couple of weeks and that he was crazy about her, Heichel was. Butts tells investigators about driving Heichel to the boob farm and about hearing the gunshots, then the screams, then driving Heichel back to the carnival on his scooter. Yeah, that's right, Butts have been scooting all around town for Ron Heichel. And he tells investigators that Ron had been extremely agitated in the days leading up to this, and that he had been in near-constant communication with Marinda through text, all the way up until he got off the scooter and crept onto the boob property through the woods. When investigators pressed Butts as to why <laughs> Heichel was so agitated, Butts shares that Marinda had been complaining about how abusive her husband was being. And that's serious stuff, you know. And I laugh when I say press Butts because my girl... Uh, when she talks about sex, because she, she's a bit of a, she's not a prude, but you know she doesn't like talking about that kind of stuff. She always says uh, touch butts. Oh, what? Well, we're gonna touch butts later. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> totally. We're just gonna touch, press our butts together. That made me laugh. All right. And we don't do that for parents listening and stuff. I mean, we did it twice, and that was it. It's very important to reiterate here that there has never been any evidence other than Marinda's word that her husband, Sam Boob, was abusive. Neighbors would later come forward saying that he'd heard arguments on occasion, so it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that Sam was indeed uh, abusive to Marinda. But most close to the case believe Marinda was lying for attention. Regardless, Ron Heichel sure believed it, though in the interrogation room he wouldn't say a word. Marinda can't shut up during her statement period. She's throwing Ron under the bus, then getting in her car to roll over him again and again, all while Kermit Butts is hitting fat jumps with a scooter using Heichel's back in his interrogation. When the text between Marinda and Ron are recovered, it becomes obvious that Marinda has been playing down the seriousness of her relationship with Ron Heichel. The affair was a steamy one, and though her well-paid attorneys try everything to Pate Marinda is a victim here as well as Sam Boob. The texts show her leading Heichel on, begging him for help, confirming multiple times that she'd like a quote pond put in before choreographing every step of the murder plot through text, leading Sam Boob to his death while he was just trying to make her and the kids some bacon and eggs before church. It's cold-blooded, and in the end, Marinda Boob is found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder and sentenced to life in the Muncie State Prison. She has since exhausted all appeals and will never get out alive, as per Pennsylvania law. Her three children, and one from Sam's previous relationship, four kids total, were left in limbo following Marinda's selfish actions. They were put into the custody of the late Sam Boob's sister, Christy, and her husband, the unsung hero in this case, Ben Court. And I think that's incredible. I mean, geez, what a fucking pain in the ass this was for Ben Court. But he's, he's a, this guy's, I was going to say he's a killer. Uh, Christy is the sister to Sam Boob. So Ben Court is outside of this family. He goes in, wears a wire, gets them everything they need to arrest Miranda. And then he takes on the challenge of raising the four kids left behind there. Unbelievable. Really incredible. It gives me chills for some reason. 
what Ben Court did here. For some reason? I mean, he solved a murder and then took on four children from a man who was murdered, who he's not directly related to. It, there are, really are. There, there are heroes all around us, unsung, and I'm just going to say, Sarah, Sarah, sing the praises of Ben Court here in this situation. Whatever will be, will be. Shit, do you have time for your own kids? Like, it's not on that. Maybe, maybe they got the insurance money. Kermit Butts got hit as an accessory to murder. But because of his cooperation, he only received 14 months. Maybe worst of all, he had to suffer the embarrassment of being the butt in the boobs case. And as for Ron Heichel, during his trial, he sat straight and proud of his act, beaming, believing he had acted righteously and in the spirit of true love. However, by the time his sentence of life in prison came down, he was slumped and defeated already having learned that Miranda had been entertaining another affair, one I alluded to, one that she'd been involved in for much longer than a summer, one with a man named Wes Decker, whom Miranda felt was her actual one true love. Wes was a man she had asked to kill her husband as well, but Wes Decker had refused. He was a man who Miranda had hoped to live happily ever after with. He was the first person that she called when she went to prison. That's how they caught on to him. She had hoped to live with Wes, financed by her deceased husband's ample life insurance, following the use of Ron Heichel as an assassin. And that's sad. I mean, I almost choked up right there. My voice cracked. I mean, uh, oh, it did it again. And uh, that was a rough one. And not very nice. But that, ladies and gentlemen, holy fuck, is what I like to call the entitled love a Mirinda Boo. And that'll do it. Thank you, everyone, for your patience. It's been a month and a half after I promised, like, weekly, probably, uh, every couple of weeks. I'm really sorry. I really am. Um, I've had a few things going on in my life. People on Patreon know what's going on with me. It's, it's, it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but I was kind of, like, knocked out of commission for a while there. Um, I want to shout out... Excuse me, that's legal. That's my brother's uh, Leroy Luna's podcast. He's super consistent and uh, I love what he's doing he's probably got one of my favorite po- he does have one of my favorite podcasts I was going to say probably uh, one of my favorite podcasts but uh, let's see the other one. Oh, Chris D'Elia congratulations he came back and god he makes me laugh but Leroy makes me laugh too and uh, excuse me that's illegal as a podcast that uh, you should be checking out also, 911 calls with the operator. Always fun. I'm on there once a month right now. He's got guest hosts coming up. Kent Chungus from uh, True Crime Kent is going to be on a few of them. And I just love those guys. Kent and the operator from 1159 Media, obviously. I mean, I just went to Baraboob. <laughs> I just, I really tried to lay off those jokes for that because everyone else had made jokes on that. The other podcast, or there wasn't many. No, I don't know if you've ever heard of this case, but people really were laying on the boob and butt jokes and I guess I'm one of them now um, check out True Crime Kent 
911 calls podcast. Uh, and excuse me, that's illegal. Kent's so much fun, man. And so, God, the operator, too. The operator is exactly who you think he would be. I hung out for three days with those guys in uh, in Baraboo, Wisconsin, because of the leg thing. We went there, and it's a spooky place. It really, God, it was a spooky place. And um, we went to the Man Mound, where the, the ancient Indian burial ground, and we walked all over it by accident before seeing the sign. And I laughed the whole time. And it was really, I don't know if cathartic's the right word, because I don't know what words mean. But I felt really good coming back from that. It was a 12-hour drive. I drove through Minnesota and uh, Wisconsin. I stayed in Duluth, Minnesota, in a haunted mansion completely by myself, and it was the fucking biggest mistake ever made in my life. I didn't sleep at all. I saw a shadow move in the bathroom while I was watching Seinfeld in my bed. Ugh. Ghosts exist, just so you know. And, uh, yeah, we went to the Man Mound, the, the ancient burial, burial ground where um, the legs got cut off on that road. They cut through them, and I, and I made that connection on the leg thing. And we walked on it, and now we're cursed. What else? Yeah, I, I just... Those guys, uh, the operator and, and Kent Chungus, were more than what I thought they were. I've met those guys online. And if you don't know, I'm sure you do, uh, I do the 911 Calls podcast and I, we have True Crime Kent as a part of 1159 and uh, we met up just so we could meet each other in person the whole trip was funded by listeners of Dark Topic and True Crime Kent and 911 Calls podcast uh, thanks to Tracy Cash who we met on that trip as well uh, thank you to everybody who who contributed to the to the fund that made it possible for us to to actually do that they saw me in action, I saw them in action, and they were, it, it didn't disappoint. It was just so much fun, and uh, I was really happy to get back to my family. But, um, and what it did for me was those that long, long drive. I stopped at a place called, I'm going to shout it out. It was, um, where was I? I was in Minnesota. It was called the Yeehaw Saloon. And I, was, I had been driving for like four hours, and I stopped there to get a beer. You know, drinking and driving, not a good thing, but you can have a beer, right? And I was going to relax and have a beer. And I go in and I'm like, hey, you guys take credit cards? I didn't take any cash. I was just using my credit card. And there's this old man at the bar and there's the waitress like, no, no, we don't. I was like, okay. And I go to turn around to leave and the guy goes, well, why? And I was like, well, I don't, I'm from Canada. I don't have any cash. He's like, sit down, sit down, sit down. So I sit down and they start asking me questions and they buy me a beer. And, uh, I start, they ask me about what I do and I tell them what I'm doing and all that. And it got real quiet and awkward because sometimes when you mention what you do when you're a true crime podcaster, people don't know what the fuck to do with you. And that was the case here. I asked him what he did and he grades roads. And I asked the uh, wait, the uh, bartender what she did and uh, she, she tends bar, apparently. And I finished my beer and I left because it was fucking awkward as shit. But I, I loved that, that, that they called me back in for the beer. I really appreciated it. Other than that, um, check out Deadbug if you're looking for something to watch on YouTube. We've uh, kind of, uh, you know, become friends with Deadbug. He's not for everybody. But if you're looking for something to watch, uh, check out Deadbug. I mean, he's a bug who will burrow into your sensitivities and make them feel more sensitive than uh, they've ever felt before. Huge fan of Deadbug and his uh, true crime stories on uh, YouTube. 
And other than that, I mean, what I really want to say about that trip that I just took was that I just feel rejuvenated. I've, I've been in a hole for a long time. I love my family. I know you know you know that. Like I, I, I get a lot from all that. But there's something about being social that I haven't had for a long time. And I got that when I went on that trip and just interacting with people on the way back and all that. I feel like a lot of my confidence came back on that whole trip. And um, I was talking to a friend of mine. I, I called him on the way home. Uh, and he said, uh, he's, I was telling him about my confidence and all that. And this is going to sound like a brag or a strange flex here. But he said, trying to kill you is like trying to drown a fish. And um, I hope that's true. I really do. You know, I'm a loser in my mind who um, who's winning, you know, thanks to you guys listening and everything that's going on with 1159 and the Patreon support and all that. I am. I'm a loser who's winning and I can't wait to uh, see what I be- see what I become with with a winning mindset. Maybe I'll lose. <laughs> who knows? Anyway, thank you so much. I'm not going to make any promises, but I, I-, I feel feel ramped up and um I can't say how much I appreciate you hanging in there with me. Eyes cocked, doors locked, stay paranoid. Talk at you soon.